Good morning. So I have a, a question for you guys, not to answer audibly, but to ask yourself. Have you ever done anything spiritually goofy in your life? Something that, as you look back on it, you just kind of were like, why did I do that? What, what was I thinking? Um, when I was a, a junior in high school, I did something, uh, or I, I went to, to church camp every summer, and, and when I was a junior in high school, while I was at church camp, I happened to pick up this, this t-shirt. Man, somebody laughed. Awesome. That's what I was hoping for. Um, first of all, this color is quite, quite bright. Uh, I think I saw somebody directing traffic wearing this color over the weekend, but it has, it says, worship is life, and it has Romans 12, 1 and 2 posted on the back. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, this shirt, but this shirt represents something spiritually goofy in my life. Um, when I was a high school student, I was one of those people who kind of led a double life. I had my, my church life. I was playing drums in the worship band for our church and the youth group and, and you know, serving Christ. But then the rest of the week, my life definitely did not honor him. The way that I talked, the things that I did, I, I was caught up in a lot of, lot of sinful living. So the reason why I bring this shirt and why I start the sermon with this is uh, I bought this shirt when I was a junior in high school, but I never wore the shirt until I was like a freshman in college. And the reason why is because I didn't think I was worthy of wearing this shirt because of the way that I lived. But the reason why I began wearing it was I felt like my life had kind of gotten cleaned up and now I was okay enough to wear this shirt. Now, this whole story is goofy for two reasons. First of all, um, I, I was trusting in my own worth, my own righteousness, basing how I stood before God on me and my behavior. But secondly, I had dwindled down following Christ and worship to wearing Christian t-shirts. Like for me at that stage of my life, I thought that this was the main way that I, you know, honored the Lord was doing, wearing him on my sleeve literally rather than, than figuratively. But I share that because today I want to talk about worshiping Jesus, and I feel like this is a topic that there's a lot of confusion around. Um, first of all, I think that a lot of us have an idea of what it means to worship on a theoretical and a theological level, but when it comes to practically, we don't know what that looks like. And secondly, we have a problem actually following through with it, even if we do know what, it's, what it looks like. But those of us who, who trust and, and follow Jesus, we want to worship him, and, and, and it is... I believe for most of us, it is the desire of our heart. It's just something that's hard to do. And so if worship isn't just wearing Christian t-shirts or putting a fish on the back of your car, like what does it look like? You know, not, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, as you go about your life, when you're with your family, when you're at work, what does worship look like? If you have a Bible today with you, I want you to turn with me to Mark 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 9. If you need one, there's a blue one there in the back of the pew in front of you. And as we look at Mark 14, 3 through 9, we're going to see in this story, we're going to see a woman. We're going to see Mary, who did something very specific. 
And we're going we're gonna to look at a, another passage in Luke, and we're going to see why she was able to do what she did. And my hope as we read these texts today is that we will, we will walk away knowing what it looks like to worship Jesus. And secondly, how we can get to a place where we have a heart of worship for him, where we're able to consistently worship him rather than it be part of our life or part of our journey, but that our entire life would be characterized by walking with him, worshiping him. So before we uh, read this text, I want to pray for our time together, and then I'll invite you to stand with me as we read. Lord, I come to you this morning as we begin our time in your word, um, asking you to come and be with us and to direct our time this morning. Regardless of, of where we're at today, uh, we all desperately need you. We desperately need to see you in all of your glory. We need to hear from you and with clarity. We need your truth to wash our minds and our hearts today. So we ask that you would come and you would be with us in this time. We ask that this would be a time when we would experience you in your goodness, that we would experience the freedom that comes in Christ and Christ alone. I pray that you would direct the next few minutes as we look at your word together. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as, as we read this. We're reading Mark chapter 14. Verses 3 through 9. It says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of an ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. All right, you can take a seat. So I want, I want to invite you to, to step into the scene of this story with me. What's going on is there's a banquet happening, a, a large meal in Bethany at Simon's house. And we're going to look at this text briefly a little bit later, but the, in the parallel account in John's Gospel, what we know is that Lazarus was there, and this dinner party was most likely thrown as a thank you to Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, I don't know if that's on par with bringing your friend or your family member back to life, but I guess that's about the best they could do to thank Jesus for raising him from the dead. But can you imagine the conversations that are happening around that table? I mean, just this year in our society, the movie Heaven is for Real has come out, and everybody's flocking to the theaters and wanting to go hear this story about this little boy who had this near-death experience and claims he met God. I mean, at this dinner, you got to talk with somebody who had been dead for three days and had been come, raised to life. 
I just can't imagine how people were probably interrupting one another and just trying to get to as close to Lazarus as they could to get an account of what had happened. But in the context of this meal that they're sharing, in this home, all of a sudden, a woman walks in. Now, for us, it's not weird to think about men and women being at a dinner table together. That's very common for us, right? We eat together. Well, this dinner party was, this banquet was being attended by men. There were only men seated at the table. In John's, John's account, he tells us that Mary was up serving the dinner. Imagine that. And he identifies this woman who comes into the room who is unidentified in Mark's account as Mary, the sister of Lazarus. So she comes in, and what does she do? Look at verse 3. It says, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over her head. Over his head, sorry. So he comes, she comes in with this alabaster, alabaster flask of pure nard, and nard was used for anointing, and it was most likely imported from India because it came from a plant that is indigenous to that area of the world. And that would partly explain why it was so costly. But how much was it worth exactly? Well, if you look down in verse 5, this, the disciples who are, are talking to themselves, their question is, why was this wasted like that? For it could have been sold for how much? More than 300 denarii. And a denarius is one day's wage. So when they say that this could have been sold for more than 300 days' wages, we, we don't know how much that is in their day, but I ran the numbers this week based on some data that I saw for Dallas, okay? So if this happened in 2014... The conservative, conservative estimate is that this nard was worth $30,000. That's a conservative estimate. If you wanted to go based on like the average income in Dallas, it could be worth as much as $45,000. So we're talking about what this lady brings in, what she anoints Jesus with is worth anywhere between thirty dollars and $45,000. Talk about a gift to give. So what also is important for us to understand is that this nard, not only is it worth this insane amount of money, but most likely the way that Mary had received this is that it was probably passed down to her from her mother, who had probably received it from her mother and so forth. This was most likely a family heirloom that would, was passed down from generation to generation, and it was basically the equivalent of Mary's life savings. So in that culture, the way things worked was women, it was very hard for women to earn a living for themselves. And so this nard was probably meant as like a rainy day fund in the sense that if, if a woman had lost her, lost her male family members and she fell on hard times and she didn't know how she was going to make it because of the opportunities for women in, that, in the first century weren't the same as they are Today, she could go and take this nard and sell it and then live off of those funds for a while until maybe God provided a, another husband for her or whatever. 
So what does Mary do with the nard? She brings it. She breaks the flask that it is in, indicating that she intends to keep none of it. And then she pours it out on Jesus' head. She didn't hold any of it back. She uses every last drop to anoint the Savior. Think about it this way. Mary is, in reality, she is taking her life savings and saying, Jesus, I give all of this to you. Everything that I could place my hope, my security in, my rainy day fund, I give to you. You are worth all of this to me. The question I have for for us today is, what is your alabaster flask? What is mine? What do we have that we could easily place our hope in, our security? What What are you depending on? And are you clinging to that, or have you surrendered that? Are you keeping that for yourself, or are you openly giving that to Jesus. The thing about it is, we can't surrender the things that we put our hope and our security in to Jesus unless we see that he's worth it. And so, the question we have to ask ourselves is, if we're not doing this, do we believe that Jesus is worth it? And we're probably in different places along a spectrum. Even in your life, you probably vary from one to the next, but where do you find yourself today? The question I think that's good to ask is, right now, in this moment in time, is Jesus worth more to you than all of the stuff that you have? Is there anything in your life that you're clinging to, that you're putting your hope in outside of Jesus? Hopefully the answer is no. But what, what I believe we see here is that Mary, in this act of giving Jesus this this prized gift. She is basically saying, Jesus, I give you everything that I have. Everything I have is yours. And I think that worship, one of the ways that we can define it and one of the ways that it looks like practically is giving Jesus everything that I have. Worship is giving Jesus everything that I have. That's what Mary did, but she also didn't stop there And this is where I want to go look at at John's account in John 12. So if you will, flip over there, and we're going to look at at verse 3 of that passage as well. So Mary gives Jesus all that she has, and then in this verse in John 12, we're going to see something else that she did. So John 12, 3, it says this, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So Mary didn't just anoint Jesus' head, she anointed his feet. And she didn't use a cloth to anoint his feet, she used her very hair. And this is really important. The reason why I wanted to read this verse is it brings a whole other dimension to what's happening here. Because, first of all, the only people who would touch another person's feet would be a servant. So when she anoints Jesus' feet, she takes the position and the posture of a servant. 
saying, Jesus, I want to serve you. You are worthy of serving. But then she doesn't wipe his feet with a cloth. She wipes it with her hair. And it's important for us to also understand what's going on in this. In Jesus' day, women didn't let their hair down in public. For a woman, the only place, the only time she would let her hair down would be in private at home with her husband. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul actually refers to a woman's hair as her glory. And so Mary is proclaiming in this act of wiping Jesus' feet with her hair that he is worthy of all of her glory. In anointing Jesus with the nard, Mary gave Jesus everything that she had, but anointing Jesus with her hair, she gave everything that she was. She gave not just all that she had, but everything that she was. And so the question for us is, have we done the same? What about you and me? Have we given Jesus everything that we are? Have you given him All of your heart, are you fully surrendered to him or are there parts of yourself that you're hanging on to that you aren't letting go of? Are there parts of your heart that he is not given full access to? Mary gave Jesus everything she was and that was what it looks like to worship Jesus. Worshiping Jesus is giving him everything I have. It's also giving him everything that I am. Giving him everything that I am. Now, Mary did this, but why was she able to do this? Why was Mary able to part with all of her stuff and all of her heart? Why was she able to just completely and totally give herself to Jesus? I believe that she did that because she knew something that others didn't know. In this, in this passage, it says that the, the ones who are scolding her, which John identifies as Judas... When it says, why has the ointment been wasted like that? This ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. I believe that Mary knew that Jesus was the ultimate poor person in one sense. I think she knew that he was the despised and rejected servant talked about in Isaiah, the ultimate poor one. And she caught something that others in that room didn't catch. I think because she had listened to Jesus, she knew something about him. She knew that he was the Messiah. And she had heard him say, I am going to lay my life down. I'm going to give my life for you. And while others, it flew over the radar, it flew under the radar. I think with Mary, God gave her eyes and ears of faith to see and hear something that others didn't see and hear. And so she was able to do, she did this because she grasp something about Jesus that others didn't grasp. But how was she able to do this? I mean, we know that what she did, we know why she did it, but how was she able to literally take the most prized thing she had, really everything she had, and give that away to him? And then on top of that, to give all of herself. Look at Luke verse 10, uh, chapter 10 with me real quick. This is a well-known passage. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42. In Luke 10. 
So it says in verse 38, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Martha's over there serving Where do we find Mary? At the feet of Jesus, listening to him. And Jesus commends her for this when Martha comes complaining. What I believe happened is there at Jesus' feet, Mary sat and she listened to him teach and reveal about who he is and reveal about the Father. And she came to the conclusion over time that Jesus was worth it all. He was worth everything. And I believe that the reason she was able to give Jesus everything she had and everything she was is because as she sat at his feet, she became completely captivated, completely struck with his wonder and his beauty, the fact that he was God in the flesh. And she realized, I'm in the presence of one who is greater than anything in existence. She chose to say no to all of the other things in her life, including serving him. And as a result, that is how she came to experience and know the life and the joy that are found only in him. And see, what I believe is the offer was on the table for anyone. Jesus invited them to come and to experience who he was, to come and taste and see that he's good. But Mary, unlike the others, actually took him up on that offer. And over time, that truth, the truth of Jesus transformed her heart. It transformed her life. And she was never the same again. But here's something that I think is really, really crazy to me, because in our culture, we are obsessed with doing. We are busybodies. We don't know how to sit. We don't know how to have margin. We don't know how to just be. We always run here and there and Silence is the enemy. We just constantly run around like chickens with our heads cut off. But according to Jesus in this passage, what we learn is that sitting with him is better than serving him. Jesus would rather us be with him than work for him. And the pathway to being changed to the kind of person who gives all they have and all they are to Jesus is sitting with him. It's not being busy for him. The only way to develop a heart of worship is to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's the only way. If we want to become people who worship Christ and Christ alone, not Jesus and our money and our family and whatever else it is in our life that we hold dearly, The only way to get rid of worshiping those other things and come back to a fully devoted heart for Christ is sitting at his feet and soaking up all that he is and all that he says. Being with Jesus is the only thing that transforms 
our hearts. When we're taken, when we are at his feet, I believe that is the place where his love washes over us most powerfully and changes us. There is no substitute for sitting at Jesus' feet. There is nothing that can do what happens when we are just in awe, caught up in the beauty of our Savior. And the problem is, if you're like me, you just forget how to sit. You get so caught up in everything else that you forget the main thing. And, you know, sometimes whenever I prepare sermons, I prepare a sermon because I believe that God has a message for the people that I'm speaking to. Sometimes I prepare sermons because I believe that God has a message for the one that is speaking. <laughs> and I chose this passage and this, this sermon because I've really needed to hear this lately. You know, for me, if, if I'm honest, not a lot's changed since I bought this t-shirt over a decade ago. I'm still really, really tempted to find my baseline for life, my worth, my identity in what I do for God and how I measure up. And I needed to be reminded right now that God doesn't need my, my works. He doesn't need my stuff. He wants me. That's what he wants. And the same is true for all of us. And he promises that when we come and we bring ourselves and we sit at his feet and we get caught up in the beauty of our Savior, that he will change us and we will never be the same. So the challenge is, what are we going to say no to in order to sit at his feet? Because it always comes at a cost. We have to give up something else. And right now, as you're sitting there, if you're like me, you're already saying, I am so busy. When am I supposed to sit? I don't have time to sit. I don't think that there's ever going to be a time that this is an easy thing to put into practice. There's never a season when all of a sudden, oh, I just have time to do this. It's just choosing to do it anyway. Believing that it's more productive to be unproductive at the feet of Jesus than it is to be productive somewhere else. You know, it's just, it's counterintuitive. I remember I was talking with a pastor friend, uh, I'm friends with the pastor up the road here at Skillman Church of Christ, and he was telling me, as I first started this job, we went and had coffee, and his one, I asked him, just give me one thing that you would pass on as wisdom as I start, you know, serving here as pastor. He said, whatever you do, do not start your day, no matter how much you have to do, without getting alone with the Lord and, and being with him and making sure that everything is rooted in Christ. And I'll tell you, it's really, really weird, but somehow, some way. The truth of this passage is experienced when you actually take God up at his word and do it regardless of if it makes sense to you. So for me, there are days when the list of things to do feels endless, and it is endless. And I choose, no matter what, I just say, okay, I'm going to believe that you will help me get done what I need to get done, and that being with you is more important than this anyway, and so I'm going to do that. And you know what's amazing is, even if I take 30 minutes or an hour or whatever amount of time it is that day, it's crazy how being with the Lord calms my heart, it calms my spirit, 
and the way that I'm able to work when I'm working from rest rather than for rest is a night and day difference. Whereas the days whenever I kind of just, you know, hop in and pull up my YouVersion app and maybe read the verse of the day and throw up a quick prayer as I'm on my way driving somewhere, and don't take that time to sit. Even though I work hard all day, I look at the, at the list at the end of the day, and I didn't really accomplish much, because my heart is unsettled, because I'm forgetting that my identity and my worth and my acceptance is not based on what I do, it's based on Jesus, and it just changes things. There's a big difference. And so my challenge for us today as we go into our weeks Will you take God at his word, and will you really believe that sitting at the feet of Jesus is better than whatever else you can do? I mean, better than, if it's better than serving Christ, I can't think of anything else that would compete. If he would rather us be with him than work for him, there's nothing under the sun that is more worth our time. And how freeing it is to know that our Savior, his desire for us, is to just be with him. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our work. He just wants us. That's a freeing, freeing thing. So whether you're in here today and you know the Lord, and it's just a call to come back to this truth, or maybe you find yourself in a place where this whole idea of sitting at Jesus' feet is completely foreign to you because you don't know Jesus, What I can tell you is that the truth is Christ is worthy of everything. He is God in the flesh. He has come down from heaven to make a way for us to know God, to be reconciled to Him, to be forgiven. And if you haven't experienced that forgiveness and that reconciliation in Christ, the offer is on the table today. He asked you to simply trust Him and believe that He is God. Believe that his life and death have paid the price for your sin, for my sin, and that God raised him from the dead three days later, and that you can have eternal life. You can have joy. You can have a peace that you've never known before if you will trust him today. Mary understood something about Jesus because she had eyes of faith and she had ears of faith. And if we will ask God to give us those eyes and ears, he would delight in giving them to us. So maybe that's the prayer for us today, wherever we are on this spectrum, is just say, Lord, give me the eyes to see that Jesus is worthy of everything. Give me the ears to hear that he is worthy. And give me the hope, and the, or give me the faith to just sit at his feet, regardless if it feels like a sacrifice, regardless if it feels like I don't have time, I've got too much to do. Lord, help me to believe that he's worth it. Let's pray.